Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Two strikes to Shohei here. Oh, got oh. it! Got it! Got it! 33! Oh, wow. Where did that one go? Out to center field. Nimmo's going back. That one is gone! Off the back wall! A two-run home run for Bryce Harper. I think they got it right. We're talking about the MVP of both the American League and the National League. Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News uh, will be our guest. Danny Mac show on a Friday. Hopefully everybody's getting set for a fun weekend. Uh, BK is at Centene. The Blues will be practicing at around 1130 or so. I'm in the studios of 101 ESPN. And uh, BK... Again, I think they got it right. Otani was a unanimous winner of the MVP in the American League, and uh, Bryce Harper gets it in the National League over Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis. Otani, unanimous, hit 257, six home runs, drove in 100, but he also made 23 starts on the mound, went 9-2 and two with an ERA just over three. So Harper wins it over Soto and Tatis, hit 309, 35 bombs, drove in 84, led the league in doubles, on-base percentage was around 430, led the National League in slugging percentage, led an OPS, led an OPS plus, and he's the 32nd player in Major League history to win multiple MVPs, fourth active to go along with Cabrera, Trout, and Albert Pujols. So I had no problem with both guys, and that's both uh, guys I would have voted for for my top picks and choices for both leagues. Yeah, I thought it was the right call. Uh, Bryce Harper's uh, amazing to me, Dan. I just love the guy. I think he has become somehow underrated, honestly, with the way that we talked about him early in his career. I think there was a little bit of a backlash to some of the hype of Bryce Harper. He's now the fourth player in the last 20 years to win multiple MVPs before turning 30 years old. Mike Trout is on that list. Albert Pujols is on that list. And Alex Rodriguez is the other on that list. He is the rare child star who lives up to every possible expectation that we had of him while he was a child. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at, what, 16 years old? The the guys from this generation that fit into this criteria for me are Bryce Harper in baseball and LeBron James in basketball. The expectations for those guys were so otherworldly, and for them to find a way to live up to them, uh, Dan, it's one of the greatest achievements you could possibly have as a player. So, Full credit to Bryce Harper. He has become everything anybody could have asked for. What an awesome baseball player and more than deserving of winning the MVP last night. I think the the thing that I take away from Harper winning this award, and we saw it firsthand, was when he was hit by Hennessy's Cabrera. He's going to get a mutual award for sportsmanship and how he handled it, which is one thing. But then it's another to bounce back from what is a very scary situation. And I was doing the game that night, and that was frightening. Frightening when you have a high 90s fastball connect you directly on the face. And the thing that happened for him after that, if you start diving into the numbers, and I did this last night, and I was talking about it on the morning show, BK, his next 16 at-bats, he went 0 for 16 with 10 strikeouts. Then his next 28 at-bats against left-handed pitching, 
He was four for 28 with 13 Ks. Um, the Phillies actually brought in a minor league coordinator that threw from the left side to throw him batting practice because they knew they weren't seeing the same guy. And so I give him a ton of credit, man, for not only how he handled the situation with such class and dignity and sending a text message to throw to, you know, uh, to, to get it to the, the Cardinals and Genesis Cabrera. I mean, that's amazing in itself because easily that thing could have escalated and he diffused it with that text and what he said immediately afterwards on social media, which was incredible class to do that. But then you have to bounce back. And uh, that's not easy, man, to get in that batter's box and understand what you just went through, the scary nature of what he went through, and then to go on a tear. And basically, um, after that happened, he went on a tear. You know, they, he went on the IL, he came back, and all of a sudden, he became the player that did not slow down the rest of the way. And that's what made uh, Bryce Harper the MVP of this league. He put up massive numbers, but bouncing back from what we saw in St. Louis was truly incredible. Yeah, it really was, Dan. And I just the way that he even responded in the moment, because I can't imagine for me, I would be super thrilled about getting hit in the face with 95 plus. It just probably wouldn't be a great thing for me. I don't think that I would react well in the moment. I certainly wouldn't react well right afterwards. He was gracious from the moment that it took place. Walked right back. He knew he was going to have to uh, just kind of live with it. And then afterwards, he, he made the statements on Twitter. And like you said, he was able to text the Cardinals and get that to Hennessy's Cabrera. He was as concerned for Cabrera as he was for himself. I mean, this is he's a baseball guy through and through. Couldn't be happier for him to win the MVP last night. He was more than deserving, like I said. And then Otani, of course, on the other side of things, just doing things we've literally never seen done since Babe Ruth. I mean, it's it's as close as we will see to that uh, in the history of the sport. Also credit here in St. Louis locally, Paul Goldschmidt ended up getting a third place vote. He ended up, I believe it was sixth in the voting he overall. He was sixth. Tyler O'Neill was eighth. And Wayno was 20th. How about Wayno getting into the top 20 of the MVP? That's amazing. He got one eighth place vote. Uh, full kudos to him for getting on somebody's ballot as well. Yeah, it's it was a pretty awesome finish to the season here in St. Louis. I actually thought Goldie deserved to be higher than where he finished on this MVP list, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, all of those guys were uh, were deserving of at least getting votes. So the three one four said Tyler O'Neill had a war not that far from Bryce Harper and uh, got paid basically the league minimum. That to me is the value for the most valuable player. And there's a lot of truth to that because even in these negotiations with the Players Association and ownership, putting value on a player through war is something that they're looking at. Because right now it's gone to young players and the Players Association is saying, now, wait a minute, you got six years of control, team control. We need to get these players paid earlier. Obviously, there's the tanking competitive balance that we talk about. I mean, Scott Boris the other day said 17 teams in his estimation are trying to win. That was it. And then you're going to have what's going to come up with negotiations, the changes in the game itself, pitch clock, bigger bags, uh, universal DH and so on and so forth. But um the texture brings up a very valuable point, which is how much do you value wins above replacement? And so it's really, uh, you know, I, 
I watch the game, so I have my feelings of what I'm watching in terms of, okay, it's the eye test of who I think is the most valuable player. But then war certainly puts it into numbers that makes it very quantifiable. And to say that Tyler O'Neill should finish in the top 10 of the MVP is spot on, especially with what he did down the stretch. And then he started putting in the intangibles for my money. BK is, are you getting your team into postseason play? Uh, did you win a batting championship? Did you lead the league in OPS? Those kind of things. Um, where I, I still value wins. And, and I know most people would look at that. Young guys will say, how can you value win? I do. Okay. I still value wins. Not to the level I used to, but I still think there's a value put on that. Strikeouts. I mean, I can go down the, the, the list of all the different things, but war kind of puts it all in perspective. And Tyler O'Neill, not making Bryce Harper type money, played at a Bryce Harper at times type level. That's how good he was. Yeah, I think the tough thing about war and why I don't believe that they will end up using this for anything that has to do with money is it can be so different based on whether you're looking at baseball reference or fan graphs. Their two formulas are completely different. Like, for example, Dan, last year on the fan graphs wins above replacement list, Trey Turner was at the top of the list with 6.9 wins above replacement. If you look over at the baseball reference one, he was fifth. Mm-hmm. in wins above replacement and it wasn't close it was actually zach wheeler who led the league in the national league in wins above replacement last year so it's just difficult for me to look at both of those and be like okay which one is the one that i'm going to use and what's the formula that i prefer and you know i'm a numbers guy i know but wins above replacement it, it, it just it, it loses me sometimes i i, I understand Wait a what whoa, it's whoa, trying. Whoa, 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 whoa. you of all people yeah BK, you dive into numbers. I mean, you're ready to, I I guarantee if I threw some random free agent out there, you've got a value on them. Okay. Uh Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you need to come up with like the BK meter then. (laughs) I just, I put a bunch of other metrics into like. See, this is where I'm going. My filter of what do I think matters. I don't know what goes into war, Dan. This is the thing that's difficult to, for let me, me, let me to, ask you this, to quantify. It's how like if I don't know what that means, how can I possibly internalize what that's going to value. So it's tough. So Randy liked Juan Soto. I liked Bryce Harper. Mm -hmm. And I would say this. One of the reasons why I liked Harper is that they were still alive mathematically and potentially had a chance to go into that series with Atlanta. They had three games left with the Braves in the regular season and they coughed it up at the end. They're not in that position without Bryce Harper. That is not going to show up when you're voting. You know what I'm saying? So you can look at the quantifiable numbers, but what are the games that were pressure down the stretch for Harper? I mean, Juan Soto had no pressure on him. That team was going nowhere. They were selling off their parts with what they did with the Dodgers and Trey Turner and, and Max Scherzer. So he's going up there to hack or to have a less pressurized situation, in my opinion, as opposed to Bryce Harper, where if you're the opposition, even if you're a bad team, like they were playing the Pirates towards the end, the Pirates are saying, hey, let's knock these guys out. What's our best chance to knock them out? Our best chance to knock them out is to make sure that Bryce Harper doesn't do damage against us. So how is he getting pitched in meaningful games as opposed to what I think were kind of non-meaningful games for Juan Soto? Isn't there a value on that? Doesn't there have sure. to be a value on that? Yeah, I think I think we should always reward winning. Um, I, that's that's kind of how I view that. I think it can at least be considered a tiebreaker. For me, it's the slugging that was the difference between Harper and Soto. I mean, if you love on-base percentage, 
then Juan Soto's your guy. Um, that's why I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that Randy would go Soto because he's more of the sabermetrics route of what you would prefer. Uh, he had a really high on-base percentage, one of the best that we've seen in baseball in the last 20 years. He was at 465. Now, Harper was very good in that category, finished with 430 last year. The slug is where it, it differentiates the two for me. Bryce Harper finished the year with a 615 slugging percentage. Right. That just doesn't happen, Dan. And so if I'm talking about doing damage, I'm talking about driving in runs. The guy that I'm going to go behind is Bryce Harper from that category. So um, I, I liked the slugging percentage. That's why I would have voted for him over Soto. But both of them were worthy. I, you could have voted for either of them, and I would have totally understood the vote. And by the way, if Fernando Tatis Jr. was healthier for a, uh, a longer portion of the season, I could have understood voting for him as well. What value then do you put on defense at all? I mean, for we're, those we're, guys, right very now, little. <laughs> yeah, I know, because that's all we've talked about. But if we're talking about um, Tyler O'Neill, I'll just throw him in there as an example to, that wins a gold glove, and sabermetrically, he is a darling of defensive metrics too. How much weight does that carry when you're trying to vote for this award? Yeah, I think both <clears throat> O'Neill and Goldie were undervalued this year in the MVP voting because I think people didn't put enough value into what they do defensively. Paul Goldschmidt, I think you can make a legitimate argument, was the second best defensive player on the Cardinals this year. I, I mean, he was outstanding. So who's what your best, was, Bader? Uh, yeah, Bader for me was the best defender maybe in the National League this year, much less on the Cardinals. Um, and if you want to say it was somebody else on the Cardinals, like they have so many guys that were worthy sure. of that praise. I, I'm not going to argue with you, but Goldie's defense plus what he was able to do offensively in the last five months of the season, I think you could have made an argument that he was third on the list of MVP candidates this year. And Tyler O'Neill right up there as well. He was outstanding in every possible way. He had the slugging percentage defensively. He was better than any of the guys that we've talked about so far. And oh, by the way, he's a threat on the bases as well. So it's really hard, Dan, when you get into comparing outstanding players and all of these guys are great. It really is nitpicking as to what you're going to value over other things. One thing that I'm not going to do, though, is point to war and say, hey, that guy had 6.9. This other guy had six. So therefore, I'm going to go with the guy that had 6.9. I just can't do it because if I could if I go to the other site, it tells me something completely differently. Yeah, there's just so many factors I look into of like, you know, is your team into it, which then that means the pressurized aspect of your at bats. Um, what you're doing in terms of winning, how much value to put in winning. So is it the player of the year or is it the MVP, mm-hmm. you know, and how you define it? I, it's tough. I mean, I can't argue with any of the, the choices. I, that's why I thought Harper was the right guy. And to me, it, you know, now you look on the other side, the angels team that was going nowhere, but yet you had the most dominant player in the sport and a year that you may never, ever see again in our lifetimes, which yep. was Otani doing what he did on the mound and at the plate and on the bases, by the way, because he can run. I mean, he's just a freak of nature in a great way. Um, and it was fun to watch. And it all came to fruition for him this year. And it'd be, I think it'd be crazy if he said, well, he's not the MVP. And I'm like, well, who'd be more valuable than that yeah. guy? Nobody. Yeah, put him on the Dodgers, for example, and we would view him as being like the clear-cut, obvious MVP. And I think he was that, even though he was on a bad team last year. Uh, so I, I, I think they got it right from that respect. Dan, I did want to ask you before we get out of here about the National League Cy Young voting, because we weren't able to talk about this yesterday with you being out. I, I think I would have leaned Zach Wheeler. 
I, I think after having time to be able to sit back and reflect oh, the numbers on what the are season were ridiculous for him, his innings, yep. I just, and I put a big value and premium on innings, especially, especially when you this see year. guys. Yes. Cut. Especially this year. Yeah. Wheeler. I had Wheeler and Scherzer as kind of my guys. Those were the two guys I liked. And, uh, and a lot of it had to do with kind of going back to what I'm talking about with what did you do to help your team get into this stretch run of win? He was dominant. I mean, Max Scherzer was awesome down the stretch. And uh, the full body of work, though, I might have gone with Zach Wheeler. And yet neither think, guy gets it. I think I would have gone Wheeler one. I actually said yesterday, I think I would have gone Bueller two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe Burns three, Scherzer four. You can interchange those two. They were both dominant. I could have gone Scherzer three, Bueller four. But Wheeler throwing 213 innings yes. in a season in which you had four guys total in all of baseball throwing at least 200 innings. Wayno would have been further up for me I because get that of completely. the innings. I get that completely. And, and we're watching him coming. A lot of his wins were coming after losses. That's big, too. So you really had to dive into it to have a full understanding of the body of work. But I'm with you on Wheeler. Probably would have gotten my vote. That was the one that I looked back on and I said, I think they might have messed this one up. It's the one that I think 10 years from now, when we look back at the awards, and this is really what it is, right? It's about telling the story of a season and being able to look back at the awards from that year and saying those were the best guys in that individual season. I think we're going to say 10 years from now, we were wrong for giving that to Burns over Zach Wheeler. Not because of what either of those guys are going to do in the future, but because when you look back at the value that they provided to their teams in 2021, I think Wheeler was better for Philly than Burns was for Milwaukee. While acknowledging and understanding, obviously, Burns was outstanding for them. Where would you have put Hayter? See, I don't think that he gets enough credit for where he needs to be as compared to the starters. Yeah. Because it, it was just such a good year for starting pitching. I understand that. It, it was that. tough for me. Let, me. let me rephrase it then. The value of the closer that dominates throughout the year. And I know like Al Roboski and I and Al would know a lot better than I. He did it. He was a fireman of the year. And he's like, no, no, no. But everybody else I talked to, it says, yes, yes, yes. It, which is getting those final three outs is different than the other three outs in the game. Mentally, the pressure, the physical toll that, the you know, it's max effort all the time. I don't think we put enough value on the reliever, in particular, those guys that have to get the final outs. I just don't. That's just I'm my totally personal opinion. You. I'm totally with you. Uh, that is That is absolutely true. And if there weren't any clear-cut, obvious, outstanding performances this year from the starters, I would have gone that route as well. But I would have to have him behind Wheeler, Bueller, Scherzer, Burns. I think I would have had him behind Wayno for me as well. Urias had an it. underrated yeah. season. Like there, By he the would way, have where's been. Where's he in this whole thing? No one talks <laughs> about him. He won twenty games. He went twenty and three on the season. Finished the year with a two nine ERA, and he wasn't even really in the conversation. I think he ended up on like a few ballots as the fifth guy. Yes. It was just, it was a really good year for National League Cy Young. It was probably the most interesting race to me. Well, we'll get into it with Ryan Fagan coming up with the sporting news in about 10 minutes or so. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. All right, Tanner's trying to get this in a, in a fight here, uh, BK, before we get to Ryan Fagan. So he wanted to know how far of the Cardinals from the Brewers. Brewers had just the uh, Cy Young Award winner. They finished last season 
wins. Cardinals had one starter throw over 100 innings this season, which is just mind-boggling to me. The next closest was KK. Think about that, by the way. And that's why I think they're a lot closer than what people probably are realizing is that this pitching staff, if healthy, and again, that's the if, if healthy, are much closer to the Brewers and would have made this interesting down the stretch in terms of maybe competing for the division championship. The Brewers had five starters throw over 100 innings. Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Lauer, Hauser, close to six. Anderson at 96. uh, Cardinals have Goldie finish eighth, O'Neal 10th. Wayno get MVP votes 20th. Brewers had two. Adamas was tied for 16th. Burns 17th. So the question is, are they significantly better than the Cardinals? And my answer would be no. I, I think right now on paper, especially depending on what they do with Hayter in this offseason, I mean, again, we've said this for three offseasons, his value is extremely high. Do they try to trade him before they have to pay him a bunch? Remember, they're going to they're be under some financial constraints with what's going on with their outfield that well, let's go to war combined, a trio of Kane, Bradley, and... Um, uh, uh, help me here. They've, you know, he's only a former Yelich. MVP. Yeah, Christian Yelich combined for single digit. Uh, all three. It was a very, very low WAR. Um, and and obviously they're going to miss a couple of guys that have already opted out and are moving on. So that's the trio they have coming back. Uh, I, I I look at the Cardinals right now with what even currently constructed is being ahead, even though pitching wise not there yet. But I think they'll address that this off season. I totally agree. I think the difference between the Brewers and the Cardinals last year was simply health. And I know people don't like hearing that. This is not me excusing what took place in 2021 for the Cardinals. I think they should have been more aggressive when their pitching started to break down. But now that we have the benefit of hindsight, when I look at the Cardinals versus the Brewers, I think the Cardinals were the more talented team. I think they were the better overall team. But they didn't have their team on the field as often as the Brewers did. If you had the Cardinals get a full season out of, even if it was one of three, of Michaelis, Hudson, and whether it be Martinez or Flaherty, whoever that third guy was, I think they would have won this division, Dan. I really do believe that. And now, if you go into next year, and obviously you're not going to be at 100% health, there's going to be stuff that we don't project because that's how baseball works. But if you go into next season with an upgraded version of this rotation and you're able to get maybe a step forward from Carlson or they add a bat that can help improve the offense just a little bit, the depth is better, the guys that are coming up from AAA are a little more ready, whatever it ends up being, and you have a little more variance on the injuries for the Brewers' side, they were incredibly lucky this year with health in their rotation. I I just don't know how anybody can make an honest argument right now that the Brewers are the clear-cut favorite in the Central. I don't know what the betting odds are going to say, but for me, right now, even as currently constructed, I would favor the Cardinals in this division right now. Yeah, you mentioned the key point, I think, when, you know, know, somebody just texted in, so the Brewers were healthy last year, guys. Um, Their pitching staff was. That was the difference. For the most part, their pitching stayed healthy throughout the year. Now, they were missing at times Yelich. Sometimes they were missing Kane. Well, a lot they were missing Kane. Colton Wong was hurt at times. But generally speaking, their pitching stayed intact. And that's where the Cardinals had their issues, is that they just couldn't keep that group together. And if they do, I think it's a different year. And that's why potentially, and we'll get it into uh, get into this with Ryan Fagan, depending on what they do this offseason with their pitching and if they can get – Uh, multiple starters in which these guys stay healthy for a full year. 
uh, to me, it's a completely different year for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah, and you can make the argument the Brewers had some injuries in their bullpen, but the starters were the story of the season. Dan, I mean, you look at all-around baseball. If you had your starters stay healthy for the majority of the year, there was a pretty good chance that you were one of the teams that was left standing at the end. I mean, you look at the Dodgers, the guys that we just talked about, they all stayed healthy for the most part. I understand they had the Trevor Bauer situation, but the guys that were out there every fifth day that were able to be out there because of health, they more often than not were. Same thing was true for the Giants. Uh, most of the teams in the National League, the Brewers who we just mentioned, that, that's how they sustained over the long haul. The Cardinals didn't have that. And that is where the stability comes in. So next year, if they are able to have a little bit more luck when it comes to the pitching side of things with health, I do believe they will be considered to be the favorite in the National League. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, Brian Fagan of the Sporting News. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Always great to have the chance to visit with Ryan Fagan of the Sporting News, and that is BK. He's at Centene. Blues will practice there at 1130. I'm Danny Mack, and we are in the studios of 101 ESPN. Hey, Ryan, good morning. Thanks for uh, carving out some time for us again. We always appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing great. I always enjoy talking with you guys. You know, I, I love the fact that you take a lot of time uh, well thought out care with your ballot. We were just talking about uh, the Cy Young vote in the National League and yeah. BK. Both of you know, we were both looking at the innings of of Zach Wheeler and innings for me at this day and age of baseball that means something. Um, you look though at Corbin Burns; he had 167. I love what Max Scherzer did down the stretch for the Dodgers. I put value into that. I look at Walker Buehler. He had 27 quality starts, which is six innings, three or fewer runs allowed. Wayno, what he did. I mean, there's just so much to go into it. So how did you come up? We'll start with the Cy Young ballot. How did you come up with what you did with the National League Cy Young? Well, you know, I'll be honest. In, in looking at these these different resumes, pretty vastly different resumes in some cases, um, I had I had four different guys in the number one spot at different times. I really did. You know, I thought to me, um, you look at Burns and Wheeler and Scherzer and Bueller, and you can make a pretty good case for all four of those guys to get that number one spot. And to me, those were pretty clearly the top four guys. And then the question, since it's a five-person ballot, became who goes into that fifth spot. And you're 100% right when it comes to innings. I think that if you have a gap, like Corbin Burns did, of, of that many innings, below um, the guys you're competing with, you'd better be better than them in a lot of different areas. Right. And I think that he, I think that he made it. I think that he got there. You know, and I think that when you look at his, his, he had the lowest walks per nine innings and the highest strikeouts per nine innings. That's a good place to start. You know, he held opposing batters on the season to a 521 OPS. You know, I actually looked it up. There were 133 guys, that qualified for the batting title this year. Of those 133 players, the worst OPS any of them had was 574. So basically, every single player, when he batted against Corbin Burns, had a worse OPS than the worst everyday player in the bigs. You know, I mean, to me, that says something. So, you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of ways you can look at it. There have been times that I've had ballots and I said, okay, well, this guy's the easy number one. And then we'll just worry about how the rest of the ballot goes. And this, this was not one of those years, not at all. 
I don't think you fit into this criteria, but I am curious. Do you think for some we have devalued the innings, though? Do you think that we have gotten to the point where, and and listen, I'm a numbers guy. I want to say that on the front end. But do you think we've gotten to a point where uh, we look too little almost at how many innings a guy has pitched? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I think there's a lot of people that kind of look at it that way. I think, you know, there are a lot of people that said, okay, Corbin Burns had a 1.63, you know, fielding independent pitching, a FIP. He's the easy number one guy. You know, it's it, it, it's not like that to me. You know, and I think that because innings matter, I mean, that's the reason that I had Adam Wainwright in the number five spot. I mean, you look at it. He had when when you pare it all down to the most starts of seven innings, at least seven full innings, and one or fewer earned runs. He was at the top of that list in all of baseball, right? That matters, and for some teams it matters more than other teams. If you're a team that has a great bullpen and you've got eight great bullpen arms, yeah, maybe you're going to pull your starter after six innings at 90 pitches. You know, but most most teams aren't like that. Most teams need those innings, you know, and I think that that, that does matter. And even though a lot of starters now are going five innings, when you get a guy like Wheeler or Wainwright or even Sandy Alcantara, who with the Marlins, I think he had a wildly underrated year. Um, guys like that, they, they matter. They matter to an entire pitching staff. And I think that, you know, that's, that's sometimes overlooked because in this era we say, okay, well, everyone's a five-inning starter. Well, not everyone, right? And the ones that aren't, I think they bring more value now than they may have in the past. So what do you think is the number one point or two or three for a pitcher? What, what are you looking for in this day and age of pitching in Major League Baseball? Well, I mean, it, it's easy to say strikeouts, you know, and because if, if the batter doesn't put the ball in play, he's not going to get on base, right? So that's an easy one to say. But I, I think there are different ways to get outs. And I think if you have a way that you're trying to get an out and you're really good at it, you know, and I, and I say that, and I think you probably know who I'm talking about, and, and, and Wainwright, you know, yeah. he's, he's not trying to get outs the same way these other guys are. You know, he's trying to be efficient. He's trying to be 10 innings or less. Uh, our 10 pitches or less per inning. He's trying to get out there. He's trying to get the 27th out as much as he's trying to get the second out. You know, and I think a lot of people aren't like that. So to say that there's just one or two is it, it's as much as I wish it'd be easy enough to do that. I, I just don't think it is because you're kind of, you know, you're, you're separating these guys based on your preconceived notions of what you think a pitcher should do. And I think we've seen, you know, especially with Wainwright compared to, and it's such a stark comparison to most of the pitchers out there, but there are multiple ways to get guys out. There are multiple ways to get through games. There are multiple ways to help your teams win. You know, I think that that's, that's what we saw in this battle. And I think that's why the, the resumes of the, the guys I had in the top five spots were, were just so crazily different. And as part of that conversation, it's also what you're asked to do, right, Ryan? Because here in St. Louis, they want you to get the ball in play and have your defense go to work because the defense is excellent. Whereas some of these other teams uh, that these pitchers were on is like, hey, please don't get the ball in play because we have an atrocious (laughs) defense and that is the worst case scenario. So just strike everybody out and we'll figure it out from there. And Ryan, I wanted to ask you about how that can influence this free agent market because as we've been talking between Dan and myself, we've talked a lot about how the Cardinals can just find some strike throwers that are out there available in this market. And there's a lot of those guys. When you look at what the Cardinals could do pitching-wise, specifically with the rotation, 
Are there any starters that immediately come to mind to you that, given the way this team plays, make the most sense for them to add this offseason? Well, I mean, the guy that comes to mind right away is Marcus Stroman. You know, Marcus Stroman is a guy who, you know, he, he can rub some people the wrong way, but he is a competitor, and he understands what he needs to do. You know, you look at his strikeout per nine, it was right about the same as what uh, Wainwright's was uh, this year, I think like seven and a half, seven point six, I think it was. You know, he's the guy that he'll pitch the contact because he understands that he doesn't have to strike guys out. He understands that he has enough good stuff that he can get weak contact. You know, and if he's got his defense playing behind him very well, he could be a very good starter. And I think when you're looking at how, not just what free agent pitching the Cardinals can go after, but also how can they convince him to come here, right? First of all, obviously money talks, right? You know, you can't say, okay, well, we've got five gold glovers. We're going to offer you $5 million less per year, and you should take it. You know, that's not going to work. But if you have similar type of offers out there and you say, okay, well, you can go play for this defense that has five gold glovers plus Yadier Molina, or you can go play for this defense that ranked, you know, 27th of 30 teams in defensive run saved. It's your choice, right? You know, so I think that's a bonus that the Cardinals have, but I don't think, you know, it's not something that you can rely on to make up and try to lowball a guy if you really feel like he's the fit that could help your team. As much as uh, fans would love some, maybe not all, but some would love to see Scherzer back in St. Louis, yeah. uh, back in his hometown. Is that realistic or do you, do you see him staying on the West coast? What, what do you think happens with Max Scherzer? Well, I, I think it comes down to money. You know I mean? I think that the, the Cardinals certainly could make it happen. And Max Scherzer would be an amazing um piece of that rotation not just a piece but a, a primary piece of that rotation you know you throw him up there with um you know with Wainwright and a healthy Jack Flaherty and you know that's that's a big three that not a lot of teams can top but you know there but everybody wants Max Scherzer because he's really he's really quite honestly he's about the perfect pitching free agent right he's going to come in you know what you're going to get from him he's going to be great he's intense he's a competitor and because he's 37 years old you don't have to offer him a seven-year contract right Teams don't mind giving out short-term deals with high average uh, salaries. So well, there's going to be a bidding war for Max Scherzer's um, talents. And there are some deep pocket teams that would love to get him here. So, I mean, is it realistic? Could the Cardinals do it? Yes. Will they put the priority on Max Scherzer? Because you don't get Max Scherzer by accident. You get Max Scherzer free agent because he is your priority and he is your number one goal for an offseason. And if that's what the Cardinals decide is their number one goal and they're going to spend what it takes with a two, probably three year deal, two and an option at, you know, $35 million a year, then they absolutely could do that. And I think that, you know, he would be certainly willing to uh, listen to offers from his hometown team. Ryan, maybe he's your answer for this, and if he is, let, let, I, w- I would love to hear a second one from you. But when I look at the Cardinals' rotation, one thing that I, I would be prioritizing is mitigating risk because you've got injury risk with Jack Flaherty. You've got injury w- risk with Michaelis and Hudson coming back from theirs, and then Wayno, of course, being 40 years old now. There is some risk there inherent with his age. If you were looking at this market, and I was just to say set aside the money for a moment, who is the free agent starter that you are almost positive will at a minimum be good next year? They will have very little risk to them, and they will be on the mound every fifth day. Who are the guys that come to mind for you that fit that criteria? 
Yeah, I mean, Scherzer's one of them. Um, absolutely. Uh, I think that, I mean, not to keep coming back to Marcus Stroman, but he's another guy. I feel like he's pretty good that to take, you know, 29 to 32 starts every season. He's done a really good job with that. I know people criticize his innings count from last year and said there's like five and a half, but that was really, you know, he had one start that he made, he, I think he pitched like a half an inning and it got a rain delay for two hours. He came out. Another one, he got hit with a, a batted ball and he came out after an inning. So that really knocked his innings total down in terms of average inning for start. So he's a guy though. I feel like he's going to be, um, he's going to make his next team happy. Uh, I really do think so. I think a lot of teams, value what he brings to the market and what he brings to a team i'm curious what you thought rob manfred made the statement and kind of paraphrasing here but a lockout could move talks forward between both sides and a lockout is coming december 1st what'd you make of that and where do you think we're we're at right now in trying to get a cba done um i think we're, we're certainly going to be locked down um i think there's going to be a free a freeze on free agents and trades and all of these types of things once you know, December 2nd arrives because they are meeting. Uh, I think they're meet, supposed to meet today, Monday and Tuesday, but the sides are pretty far apart right now. You know, and what, what Manfred said, um, you know, you're, you're right. He said, basically, it, it's better to have a lockout in the offseason than a strike during the season and cost games. You know, and he, he talked about that. I saw multiple different quotes saying he understands the – the value of playing games and of not having these types of labor issues um, spill over into a season. I think that's what they're trying to avoid. And I think that's why, you know, there will be a lockout starting December 2nd. You know, he even referenced, I saw in a story, I think the athletic wrote, you know, he referenced the strike of 94, right? The, the, the owners decided not to lock the players out the previous off season. They didn't get anything done because it wasn't the urgency of a lockout and then it spilled over into just a disaster situation where we lost the 1994 world series. Right. We, we can't have that. Baseball can't have that. Players can't have that. Fans can't have that. So, you know, I think there's going to be a lockout to create a sense of urgency. Now, does that mean it's a sense of urgency where things get done in December? Quite honestly, probably not. But I, I think what you, what both sides are hoping is that by at some point in January or February, things there's a deal in place and uh, free agent signings and, and trades and ramping up for spring training can begin again. And that's that's what I'd like to see. I think that's, I don't want to say that's the best case scenario right now, but that's cross your fingers and hope that happens scenario. For yeah, me. let's just get it done. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much. What are you working on right now at the Sporting News? Uh, I've got something coming next week. I'm kind of looking at the CBA um, negotiations and how the public views it. You know, a lot of times you see the public kind of default to a greedy player scenario, right? So I talked to a couple of people in the game and going to kind of examine that relationship. That'll be out at some point um, later next week. I still got a couple of interviews to do for that. So that'll be interesting. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Love your work at the Sporting News and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Thanks for hopping on. Enjoy it. Thanks, guys. Cramming more St. Louis sports talk into your brain. It's the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. BK can't see this as I'm uh, trying to staple some uh, notes and the... Uh, 
Well, it didn't staple, but it did get the notes and it's stuck in the stapler. So that's my, uh, that's what I'm working on right now. Congratulations. Uh, Mike Ryder just came in with a very good stapler. Thank you, Mike. Actually did staple now that I pull it away. Isn't that something? Anyway, uh, you've got your show coming up three hours before the weekend is here and uh, looking forward to it. What you got coming up? Yeah, so we got some blues coming up. They get back to their identity last night. Of course, they got the identity line going, and that's what ultimately won them the game. So we'll talk about that momentarily. Uh, we've got our guy Ben Heisler joining the show at 115 to preview the NFL weekend and plenty of Cardinals as well, including Dan. If you could re-sign one Cardinals player this offseason, mm. who would it be? So we'll get into that coming What's up. What's my list? Of guys that you yeah. could re-sign? Who's on there? You could go Jack Flaherty, Tyler oh, so, O'Neill. So anybody. It, it doesn't yeah, make, oh, any I got Cardinals you. player, because we know they typically like to do this. If they could get one of the guys, especially that's arbitration eligible, buy out the arbitration. Oh, you're saying like, like extend them. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I yep. got if you. If you could now. extend any Cardinals player, who would it be? Uh, I know Tanner and Alex both seem to agree on one guy. I think I would go in a different direction. So you're we'll saying, uh, I bet they're saying Tyler O'Neill. They are not. They are not. They are looking at the pitching side of things, and I will leave it at that until the All right, that's a tease. Looking forward to that. Everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you Monday. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.